Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code the Zone 125 You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. What a game last night for your Milwaukee Brewers. Let's go. Give me the song. Absolutely incredible for the Brewers. Looked like it was all going south. Doomed after Freddie Peralta left the game early with shoulder discomfort. Wasn't sure if the bats were going to come alive, but that's why they played nine and I guess last night ten innings as the Brewers get it done in an exciting way. Six to four. Over the St. Louis Cardinals. Christian Yelich even finding a way, Rowdy, to get it done by bunting. By bunting for Christian Yelich. They don't ask how. They just ask how many right now for Yelich. Willie Adamas a shot. Uh, obviously, Al Garcia, not one but two. You got guys getting ejected for arguing balls and strikes because the umpire's an idiot. His head is firmly planted up his ass. And the Brewers still found a way to get it done, Rowds. Absolutely incredible. How many pitches they used last night? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pitchers they used, Rowdy. Eight pitchers. Devin Williams gets his third save of the season. Uh, Josh Hader was before him. Daniel Norris actually didn't suck complete ass either. And uh, your buddy Brent Suter um, was okay, I guess. Rowdy, Jake, Jake Cousins looked good too, by the way. How about the game last night? That was an exciting one. Yeah, that was a game that uh, that's not how it's normally scripted with Freddie Peralta on the mound. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Yeah, he what did he go two innings? Um, he did not. He did not look good basically from the start. You could tell he didn't have his good stuff, and and then it makes more sense when he didn't go out there for the third inning. Yeah, Freddie Peralta was. Craig Council said he described his injury as scratchy. His shoulder will just here. I have I have comments. I'll get the comments from Craig Council coming up here. But yeah, Freddie Peralta. He I'll let Council and Peralta talk about it. But yeah, his shoulder didn't feel good, and obviously we saw it. He, he didn't have his stuff. He sat down, and the Brewers ended up finding a way to get it done. And it was nice to see. So Freddie Peralta is uh, the Brewers are optimistic that he's not going to miss his next start and that he'll be uh, just fine. In fact, Council here here's 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 Craig. Yeah, I mean. I- he described it as scratchy. His shoulder was just wasn't perfect today, so he's not concerned. Our trainers are, are very optimistic as well, so it's um, we're going to be cautious no matter what. I, I think so. We'll we'll give it some time here. We'll see what it, see what it looks like tomorrow. See how he reports tomorrow. So Peralta giving up three runs on five hits, and he had a scratchy shoulder. Well, hmm. in the game when they were originally, because obviously he was going to trot out there for the third inning, it was three to nothing, yeah. and all of a sudden there was Hunter Strickland came in from the bullpen and they didn't really give anything. And then I guess it was BA and rock were like, Oh yeah, it looks like Freddie Peralta is not coming out for the third. He did look like he might've pulled something while swinging the bat. Yeah. Cause he had hit in the, uh, yeah. I saw people freaking out. Like we need a DH now. Yeah. Top of the third inning. And that was what they were going with is that he injured or had an injury from his swing, which then we later found out, that's not the case. No. He didn't injure it, but I thought this was kind of interesting. So afterwards, Freddie Peralta, how he said he was uncomfortable. Yeah. He was uncomfortable yesterday, as in Tuesday. I feel like that was something that Craig Council probably <laughs> would have wanted to know, right? Uh, you would think so. 
Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think with how we know that David Stearns and Craig Council like to use their bullpen and like to uh, save their starters, especially when Freddie Peralta is just 25 years old, yeah. that if he says, hey, uh, hey, Skip, yeah, hey, my uh, shoulder just doesn't feel right. It feels a little uncomfortable. It feels a little scratchy. Don't you think they all they would have totally pulled him from that start? Yes, I think they would have valued his arm moving forward and let him just sit it down. A hundred percent. And I actually, I wouldn't be surprised if moving forward they say, hey, why don't you take a breath here? We're going to put you on the 10-day IL so that they're able to pull up someone like an Aaron Ashby again. Yeah, I mean, they've been wheeling and dealing with that uh, IL and, and the COVID list and everything. Really, you look right? at how the, the Brewers, they originally started out with that five-man rotation. Then once uh, Lauer started coming along, they're like, all right, we can go to a six-man rotation. And that was built in because of the shortened season last yes, year. Yes, indeed. And because most of the younger pitchers in Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, they're not guys that they want to all all of a sudden throw 250 innings. So they're going to try and bridge the, the gap this season. But uh, they've also switched around a lot of guys in that rotation just in general around off days giving Peralta Burns Woodruff as much time as possible off yeah. between starts and it's something they've done pretty much since June yeah so Freddie Peralta out there saying that uh he, well I have comments from Freddie let's just see what forced him out of the game here's Freddie I just was feeling a little uncomfortable just yesterday a little bit and today before the game in the swing I just felt a little bit you know more when I when I saw him, when I saw him in the game so that's why I came out the game well it wasn't the swing it wasn't the swing as Rowdy was just talking about, but uh, Peralta continues on to say, "Doesn't feel that bad." I don't know anything about it yet, but I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I, I don't feel that bad. I don't feel bad enough to to miss uh, uh, my next start uh, because I know my my body, I know my arm, so I know that it's something that I can work a little bit on it and. And we all trainers and all that, and I'd be fine. Well, Freddie Peralta right there, Rowdy, says he knows his body. He doesn't feel that bad, and he doesn't think he'll miss a, a start. Here's one more from Fastball Freddie. Uh, no, no, we just, uh, right after, we just did all the exam and all that. And so everything is, is fine. Just, like I said, just probably a little uh, inflammation, nothing crazy. I, I think that I'd be good for in this game. A little inflammation, nothing crazy for Freddie Peralta in that scratchy shoulder. Yeah, and that's good to hear, especially coming from the player saying, yeah, it just feels a little weird, but I know myself, and yep. it'll uh, work itself out here shortly. Well, don't, Freddie, I don't think I'll miss a start. Freddie Peralta knows his body and wants to do what he wants to do with his body. Let's hope Craig Council doesn't come in and start making him and forcing him things into what he does or doesn't want to do. As the Brewers are now eight and one on a current season high ten game road trip, all against NL Central teams, it was a wild game last night, dude. Yeah, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they put him on the IL just for ten days and uh, just to be safe. But also, I wouldn't really be surprised if Freddie Peralta's like tomorrow, hey, I'm good to go. <laughs> yes, I mean something from last night's not like he's gonna be fine. We'll see what happens, uh, you know, today when more information comes out. Because Freddie Peralta, obviously one of the the horsemen of the three-headed horsemen that the Milwaukee Brewers have of that pitching staff, and they want to make a nice little run into the playoffs. So Freddie Peralta, that definitely is uh, some of it's hinging on him. Brewers, though, Rowdy, that was nice to see how they won the game, though. Uh, Yelly was talking about it, of how it might have been their best win of the season. 
Well, I mean, a game like that where it just continued to get later and later into the game and you didn't feel like that was a game that the Brewers were going to win. It just kind of felt like one of those games where, okay, Freddie Peralta came out, didn't have his best stuff, leaves with an injury with some discomfort. The bullpen, see, the biggest people you got to give credit to is that bullpen because the bullpen did not allow a run last night. And they were forced into action and had to log seven, well, originally seven innings to get to the ninth and then obviously an eighth inning because they played extra innings. But, yeah, the bullpen was lights out last night. Everyone that came in pitched well out of the bullpen. And on top of that, you had Eduardo Escobar get rung up on a pitch Oof. above his letters. Oof. And that was when the Brewers were had runners in scoring position, had a shot at potentially either taking the lead or tying the game. He didn't come through, gets rung up at a pitch again above his letters. And then later you have another opportunity uh, later in the game with Omar Nervaez, who we've seen was is having a great season this year. He gets rung up on one that was like a foot outside. Yeah, it was a bad and when I say run. a foot outside, I don't think I'm exaggerating. That was bad. And then and then later on, well, didn't Nolan Arenado get tossed too? Well, Nor- see, the thing with Nolan Arenado, it was on two different check swings and it was earlier in the game. Now, those situations for the Cardinals with how Eduardo Escobar and Omar Nervaez came up with guys on base and they were losing. Yeah. The Cardinals earlier in the game, they basically had a stranglehold in that game from basically the get-go because Freddie Peralta just didn't have it in the first two innings. But Nolan Arenado did get tossed later in the game. Yeah, but seventh inning is ejected. You're done. I actually thought, looking at the replays from his, because they were both on check swings, and the first base umpire said he went around on both of them. Yeah, I actually thought the second one was worse than the first one, and I think BA said that in the broadcast because it looked like he went. I thought both of them were really close. I thought he actually went the second time he got called up, called out. I thought the first time it was close, but I didn't think he went, and he still got. We got called out on both, and you could see he was visibly angry, and I'm actually kind of surprised that they let him argue as much as they did because <laughs> I mean he was bitching for like three different times yeah. at that. Everyone guy. was bitching at that ref last night or ump last night. That uh, I saw even Cardinals Twitter was up in arms. Well, it was pretty brutal, especially when bad. when you're giving uh, strike calls above the letters and you're giving strike calls that are minimum six inches outside. Saw, saw a lot of people trying to make the case for two things last night. One was the robo umps for how bad the uh, strike zone was. And obviously, you know, Omar Narvaez and Craig Council arguing balls and strikes. They both get tossed. Nolan Arenado's pissed off with the check swings. A lot of people, you know, cr- clamoring for robo umpires. They'll never get this wrong. And then I also saw a lot of people clamoring for universal DH again because <laughs> of Freddie Peralta saying that they, when he was up the bat, that never came back. They're like, that's why. Pitchers shouldn't hit. Well, And it was all speculation. Yeah, Freddie Peralta literally said after the game, it wasn't the swing. He was feeling some uh, tightness, some inflammation in the shoulder the day previous. So on Wednesday, he was feeling it. I think all in all, though, watching that game and how it played out, having those two big calls go against you, having your starting pitcher, who's a guy that's in the hunt for a Cy Young, not have and have to leave with shoulder discomfort, coming back and winning the game the way they did. Incredible. And especially when they really weren't hitting the baseball. I mean, you had a Willie Adamas solo shot. You had two Avi Garcia solo shots. And obviously the second one tied the game up. Yep. But that's kind of like, that's kind of like been this type of season for the Brewers. 
obviously we all remember 2018 and how the Brewers got extremely hot and they just continued to win games, whether it be mashing home runs and, and putting up 10 a game and blowing teams out or whether it was winning uh, low-scoring affairs where they just figured out a way to just score one more run than the other team. That was kind of how that 2008 team really started rolling, if you remember correctly, in mid-August. That kind of feels like what this Milwaukee Brewers team is doing. Almost like, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to, a little bit of destiny. Uh-oh, like, destiny, says like, Rowdy, destiny. Like, and we're not talking to stripper. All of a sudden, it's just they're hot and things are clicking at the right time. And we all know that in professional sports that you have to get hot at the right time. Yeah. And the Brewers seem to be getting hot, even even when they don't hit the ball well, so even when they don't her. pitch well. So hot and hurt. At least rowdy. the starting p- pitcher doesn't pitch well. They found a way to win. And they did it too against the Cardinals closer. Yeah. And Reyes had to go two innings through over 30 pitches. And I would be willing to bet that uh, he wouldn't be available today, even if the Cardinals Ooh, were in a safe situation. Wee. Yeah. Christian Yelich again. I mean, I said it a couple minutes ago. Yelich called it their best win of the season last night. You saw them face a lot of adversity in many different facets and able to come out supreme, come out on top six to four. Now, Christian Yelich laid down a bunt to get a run in. Here is Yelich talking about the best win of the season. Uh, I mean, it's up there. It, it might it might be one of our, our best ones of the season just because everybody contributed. The bullpen covered, I think, what, maybe seven innings tonight. They all threw up zeros. Uh, we were able to chip away as an offense because some guys just probably hit two homers. We were able to tack on there in, in extra innings and get three. It's important to get that first one in extras, you know, with the guy in second. But um, those games kind of seem to be decided by who can push across uh, an additional run or two. So for us to be able to do that um, was big. But great team win and fun to be a part of. It. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, and how about that for the Brewers? We talked yesterday on on the show when we were kind of looking forward to yesterday's game. Jack Flaherty had been a guy that the Brewers had hit well. Well, they didn't hit him very well last night, and he looked like the ace of the staff, which he is. And then on the flip side, you talk about how the Cardinals career-wise have struggled quite a bit against Freddie Peralta. Well, he didn't look very good, and then we learned that he had to leave with a shoulder injury. Just two opposite things from what history would tell you would happen. Brewers still found a way to win. How pumped were you, though, when Avi Garcia hit that second one? Dude. I thought at first it was going to get caught. Dude, that was sick. Avi Garcia is a, a man possessed. How many home runs does he have now in the season? 20. It's his best career season. 24. I got to go look. Avi Garcia just crushing, dude. Avi Garcia with his shot. Uh, I, I have it. Where is it? Where is it? 23rd of the season. For Avi Garcia, it's 23rd of the season, Rowdy. Uh, here. Tom Reyes, I'm going to see how far you can go on the edges. Oh, Garcia in the air to left field. This one's got a chance. This is a home run. It's up and out of here. Oh, Avi Garcia ties the game. Yeah, he almost he almost climbed that fence and got that no, ball, Rowdy. When that ball was going out there, just the way he hit it. Now, we've seen Avisel Garcia hit balls when he's off balance, like at or at American Family Field where he carries it just over that uh, left field wall. Yeah. Well, we all know that American Family Field's a lot more hitter friendly than most parks. He kind of had that same off balance swing a little bit there, and it looked like it was going to be a deep fly ball and 
Tyler O'Neill, who's playing left field for the St. Louis Cardinals, we know that he's a good defensive fielder. We've already seen him throw two guys out in game one. He looked like he had a beat on it, and it looked like he was going to get back, and that was going to be a one that was going to be right at the wall, and he nearly got up and got he it. Climbed that, he climbed that wall, dude. He was up there. He was a little pretty hacked off when he, that he missed that thing. He was up there. Uh, I love Willie Adamas when Willie Adamas comes out when someone does something good and just starts like being the ultimate hype man. Willie Adamas is the ultimate hype man. He you, He's the guy you want in your clubhouse or anywhere to get you up. You know when you're going out with the boys, doing a little pre-gaming before you're going out rowdy, and some guy is always like, there's always one guy who's just like amped and hyped to go out and party. That's Willie Adamas. He's the one hyping all the boys up during the pre-game before you go out and dominate the bars downtown. I love Willie Adamas. Love this team. This team rules. Was it nine and a half games above the Reds now? Because again, I'll, I'll gladly yeah. say it. Fly the W, Cubs. Go Cubs, go. That's a tough series for the Cincinnati Reds, losing two out of three to the Cubs. Yeah, and I hate the Cubs, but go Cubs, go. Keep crushing. I love it. We will fly the W proud. Yeah, again, uh, Brewers looking to sweep, dude. I have this song by Led Zeppelin playing called Achilles' Last Stand. I asked my guy, Rob Reichel from Forbes.com, is this Aaron Rodgers' last stand in Titletown, Robbie? First of all, let me just say, you, you do a marvelous job week in and week out translating our love of Zeppelin <laughs> somehow and tying it into Packer football. And this, this might be your best one yet. Now, um, Achilles' last stand is a very underrated song, and it's sensational. Um, yes, this, this, to answer your question after all that blabbering, Ebo, <laughs> yes, this, this is Aaron's last stand. Um, I, 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 I think I think everybody kind of knows it deep down. The, the the divorce is inevitable. They're gonna they're gonna coexist as, as as much as they can together. And you know, come January or February, he will tell management he wants out. Management will move him, and and they'll get whatever they can possibly get for the three time uh, MVP. Rob, first of all, thank you for the kind words. You are my muse, Rob. It's like Jack in, uh, in Titanic where he paints, uh, uh, paints, what's her name, Kate Winslet. So paint me like one of your French girls, Jack. Rob, I, I'm, like, I'm like, you're my muse, Rob. That's why I do the great Led Zeppelin and the uh, intros for you. It's like you just bring it out of me, Robbie. So there is that, okay? <laughs> and second of well, all. That, yeah. that, 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 that is outstanding. It's nice to hear. Thank you, Evo. <laughs> Just man love going on right now, Robbie. So, yeah, what a time for uh, Rogers on the podium yesterday saying he doesn't want a farewell tour. Rob, to me, it sounds like a guy. Rowdy just said before you came on, it sounds like a guy who's done a football altogether. Uh, I kind of agree with him on that, but to me, 100% in my heart, I feel like it's a guy who's just done with the Packers after this year. Yeah, he, he's, he's going to take the Tom Brady route, I would certainly think, when when this is all said and done, he's not going to have the the flex, you know, the freedom and the flexibility that Brady did. You know, I mean, remember, New England let Brady's contract just expire, and and Brady had his pick of teams. The, the remarkable thing, when you look back, there is there were only a hand of you know two, three, four teams interested, at least according to Brady, in, in bringing him in. It, Green Bay uh, will have, I'm going to guess, Evo easily six to eight trading partners as possibilities when, when Rodgers hits the market uh, here in, in, in the spring. I, I, I agree with you. He, he's going to want to play another three or four years and chase a ring. He saw how Tom Brady did it. Now, the tricky thing for Rodgers that, you know, where he sits right now is Patrick Mahomes is a roadblock in the AFC, and, and Tom Brady, who attended the AFC for two decades, is now in the NFC, and he's, he's, he's won as many NFC title 
uh, titles that Aaron Rodgers has. And, and Brady did it in one year, and Rodgers has been around 16 years. Man. So, um, you know, when, when Rodgers is in the Packers, are trying to figure out where to send him, I think, come, you know, February, March, whatever it turns out to be. Um, it, you know, Green Bay is going to obviously want to get him out of the conference. But th- th- there could be some sticking points there, Evo, because Mahomes is, what, 25, 26 years old, something like that. And Mahomes has another decade to potentially dominate the AFC. But, but I'm with you all together. I, I think he's going to want to play another three, four years and chase a ring with, with another organization. And, and really, you know, when you look at it right now, about the only thing that Aaron is going to be done with come January or February is the Packers, certainly not football. Rob, that's why I think it's crazy that if he's not completely done with football, why he wouldn't want to be in Green Bay, especially with getting some of the things that he's wanted with, like, Randall Cobb. You just said it. You have Patrick Mahomes in the AFC. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. And you would think his best option would be the NFC, where Tom Brady is creeping up on 45 here. Well, you know, I know they say all the right things publicly, Nelson, but but this is a two way street. Don't you know? Don't forget that. Um, and and when you say maybe he wants Green, you know, you don't understand why he, you know, might not want Green Bay. I, I I'm not wholeheartedly convinced, not even close, Nelson, that that they're going to want him when this is all said and done. I mean, let's let's not forget he turned 38 in December. Um, he obviously is coming off an MVP season, but he was he was in it. He was in about a two or three year downward spiral. Up until that point in time, he counts $46 million at this point, Nelly, against the cap next year, and they're going to be remarkably cap-strapped because they've kicked so much money down the road with, with Darius Smith and, and Preston Smith and Amos and Turner and Bakhtiari and Crosby and, and some of these other contracts that they, that they redid this season. I mean, right now, Nelly, there is no way they can handle his salary cap hit next season of $46 million. You know, Jordan Love's going to be three and change, I think, is, is what his cap number is. And then they can stay under the cap. And at some point in time, too, Nelly, I mean, there's a reason you draft the guy in the first round. You know, you want to see what he ha- what he is and, um, you know, what you have there. And every general manager at some point in time wants to kind of hitch their wagon to their guy. With Ron Wolf, it was obviously Brett Favre. With Ted, it was Aaron Rodgers, and I think Gutekunst is going to do the same thing here a year from now with Jordan Love. And, and guys, I, I think there was so much positive uh, in terms of what you saw to Love Saturday night um, in that game against Houston. Forget the final score. I, I thought Love was composed and poised. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I, I thought top to bottom, his, out, his outing was outstanding. When, Hell yeah. When you, can, when you consider Nelly and, and Evo that, you know, he played without his top four wide receivers his top three offensive linemen without Aaron Jones, and, and even Dylan only played a couple of series. So, you know, what what you saw there with, with him putting up a passer rating of about 110, um, he was 6-for-6 six six on the touchdown drive. He and Funches obviously had chemistry. I, I, I sat there, guys, and thought to myself, boy, you know, you give this kid now, Devontae Adams and MBS and, and Lazard and, and, and Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins and Billy Turner and Aaron Jones, what can he do? And I, I think it's pretty promising, and it's pretty exciting. And um, that's that's why I say, guys, you know, I, I, I think the Rodgers-Packers marriage almost undoubtedly is coming to an end here at some point in time. Mm. And the early indications of what we saw Saturday night were certainly positive from a Packer perspective. Yes. I'm curious, Rob, just real quick. Uh, salary cap, 
take take that out of context. No salary cap, nothing. How long do you think Aaron Rodgers can just play at the high level? Like, uh, what age do you think you would want to be married to him, even if you were, say, a, a team that was looking to acquire him? It's a great question, Nelly, and obviously everybody's different, but the game is so different now, too, than, than it was, let's say, a generation ago, and they could beat the absolute nonsense out of these quarterbacks, right? I mean, they're almost in yellow jerseys now, like the practice field, you know, every single time they take the field. You know, like I said, he'll be 38 in December. He's still in, in, in really, you know, peak condition, I think, I think physically. But what, what you've seen start to go, and, and this is what goes, are the legs. I mean, his arm strength is still outstanding. His, his, his mind is going to be sharper than, than, you know, than probably almost every defensive coordinator that he sees, uh, much, less, much less opposing quarterbacks and defensive players. But it's the legs that start to go, and then, and then that's where you maybe start to take a beating physically if you can't escape. And, and, you know, that's always been such a big part of his game. He holds the ball, or at least traditionally he has, for long stretches of time. And, and he set himself up to, to really take some vicious hits. He was much better last year getting rid of the ball. I think he's understood and understands now that, you know, he, he can't hold on to the ball forever like, like he once did. Um, you know, and we would count seven, eight, nine, ten seconds, you know, that, he, that he'd have the ball. Um, 42 would be a fair guess, I think, Nelly. You know, if I, if I was just throwing a number out there, I think he'd play three, four more seasons at, after this year. They're, you know, I mean, he's coming off a year you could argue was the best of his career, and um, you know, but but at some point, Father Time's going to get you. Tom Brady, I think is, I, I think he's the exception almost to every single rule. Um, you know, but other guys like Warren Moon were into their early forties. Brett Favre was forty. Um, you know, I, I think Aaron can go a couple years longer, especially when you consider guys. You know, he, his first three years in the league, he didn't take any hits. He sat behind Brett, so. This is technically year 17, but it's really only year 14 that he's on the field. Yeah, Rob. Rob, I, I want to ask about Jordan Love, but Rowdy's got one more question about no, this. No, I didn't have a question. I was just going to say I think we're on the same wavelength. I don't think I'd really want to be married to him much past 41. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure I would either. I mean, because – and you guys you guys remember, you saw this with Favre, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, in 09, he's on the brink of a Super Bowl with Minnesota. Um, you know, leads them to the NFC Championship game. Just takes an absolute beating in that in that um, you know uh, what do you, what do you call it that um, the the Bounty Gate game NFC that, Championship uh, game. Yeah, in the NFC Championship game against New Orleans. Um, you know, Brett. I think that was was he second that year. I want to say for MVP, and he was he must have been thirty nine that year. Um, comes back the next year, and, and he really did fall off the face of the earth pretty quick. I mean, it, when it goes with these guys, you know, now it, it does go quick. I mean, I, 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 I've had long talks with, you know, veterans and guys who are out of the league now. You know, LeBroy Butler's a good friend of mine, and he and I have talked about this at length, that, you know, you, you show up one summer and, and you feel great and you're making plays everywhere, and you show up the next summer and you say, oh, boy, you know, I, I've kind of lost it. And they, and they lose it quick in that sport, guys. Um, and, you know, when, when you take that many hits physically and, and you know, it, it, it winds up taking a toll on your body, you know, it, it, it does, you know, that skill set goes away pretty quickly. I, I think it, it's a little slower in basketball and baseball. And in football with some of these guys, it, it, it happens quick. And, and, and I, I would be on the same page, you know, thinking that way, Nelly, that, you know, you, you certainly don't want to lock him up 
with crazy money that you can't get away from when you're still tied to him at, let's say, 43, 44 years old, something like that. I, I think a three-year contract, wherever he goes next, is maybe kind of what both sides would be thinking and, and, and looking at. And, and then, you know, if, if somehow he's still playing at a Tom Brady-like level, when that's all said and done, then you reevaluate things. All right, Rob Rice is joining us right now from Forbes.com. Robbie, something that, you know, believe it or not, things happen outside of Aaron Rodgers for the Green Bay Packers. I know that's the... Uh, really? Yeah, I know, right? But here's the thing. I'm never really that excited about preseason too much, but for the first time in a long time, I was really intrigued in one individual, and that would be the quarterback, Jordan Love, because with Rodgers and his eventual exit with Green Bay, Love apparently the heir apparent, right? Uh, I know he got hurt with that strip sack that he had, and he had a little shoulder soreness. But, Rob, how does the future look after one preseason game of Jordan Love moving forward if he is indeed the heir apparent? Um, either either Saturday against the Jets or the following Saturday, Evo, when, when they go out to Buffalo. Um, the, the first, you know, they always say you only get one chance to make a, a, a first impression. He made a hell of a first impression, right? I mean, that was that was really good football he played. 12 of 17 the other night, a 110 passer rating. Six for six on the touchdown drive. Um, he and Funches obviously had chemistry, and Funches was really, you know, the only guy he was playing with that I would think is in pretty good shape to make the roster, although I guess anything's possible uh, when you have to keep Randall Cobb on your team because the quarterback tells you to. Um, but... You know, that Darby threw down the middle on the scene pass to Sternberger. I mean, guys, if all you were doing there, all you were doing there is watching, you know, the, line, uh, the, the offensive line and watching the wide receivers try to get open, and then you saw the ball being delivered, you didn't see you threw the ball, you would have thought that was number 12 throwing the football on that seam route, not Jordan Love. I mean, that was, that was a dart. That was a hell of a ball down the middle to Sternberger. That was his best ball of the night. Um, you know, they, they wanted him to work on staying in the pocket and things like that, you know, but his likes are terrific too, Evo, and, and he had some opportunities in that game where he could have escaped pressure and taken off. They want to see him in the pocket. They don't want to see him running around. They know he can run. Um, that's a whole other element and dimension that he will add when the ball is in his hands, you know, 70 snaps a game um, a year from now. I, I think it was extremely encouraging. Obviously the only, you know, black cloud on the night is you know the, the, the fact that he gets dinged and they wanted him to play another quarter probably yeah. and, and he didn't come out after halftime and, and he's not going to practice again today against the Jets and he's probably I wouldn't think going to uh, play Saturday uh, Saturday afternoon against the Jets but I think he's got a chance Evo to, to be back for that Buffalo game it, it certainly doesn't sound like this is anything overly serious they're just being extremely cautious which is which is how they usually do things in Green Bay. But, but I know they want to see him take another, you know, eight or ten series, another 50 snaps if possible before this preseason is over, Evo. So, um, you know, just, just guessing from the outside, my guess would be you don't see him Saturday. They try to get him right for that last Saturday um, of, of, of the preseason and when they go see Buffalo. But, um, you know, if that's all the film that he put out there is, you know, when this preseason is over, Emo, it's Saturday night's film. It's really good film. Robbie, uh, we started with Aaron Rodgers and Achilles' last stand, i.e. Aaron Rodgers' last stand. We end with Led Zeppelin's Trampled Underfoot, where Robert Plant sings, we're talking about love, talking about love. 
Jordan Love, Robbie. Hey, good stuff, my brother. Always a pleasure having you on. We'll check out uh, Twitter at Rob Reichel, Forbes.com as well. All your work is Conley Media. Rob, they just announced a little bit ago the throwback jerseys for the Packers. It's the 50s classic. It kind of looks like the Oregon Ducks, like the green and the yellow. So if you, I know you're, you're on when it happens. So if you want to go check it out, go to Twitter. The Packers just put it out. I will. I will do that. I know they were having a press conference this morning. I'm, I'm about a half hour from Green Bay right now. Excited to see the Jets and, and Packers today. And, and maybe I'm sure they'll have those all over the pro shop later on. I might go, might go peek at what those look like, Evo. Yeah, pick one up for Nelly and I, okay? I, I will absolutely <laughs> do that. Early Christmas gifts for my Love two it. favorite guys. See you, Robbie. Good stuff, man. See you later. All right, boys. Have a good day. There he is. Robbie, that man, Rowdy, one breath and he goes. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. Brewers broke them off real bad last night on the St. Louis Cardinals. Nice to see. Rowdy, something that a lot of... Uh, we had one of them call in in the 7 o'clock hour. Our guy Tommy, who is a old-school baseball fan. I think, Tommy, if you were to ask him, everyone who comes up to the plate should bunt. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but Tommy loves a good old-fashioned bunt. And so do we when it comes to the situation. We're not calling, right, Rowdy, to be bunting all the time. But when it comes to uh, the situation, right, uh, and a bunt calls for it, I would believe that you should probably bunt, yes, instead of swinging for the fences or striking out. Yeah, I don't think uh, very few people, a very small faction of people, I think were actually screaming for the bunt every time in a situation where runners are on first or second or, you know, whatever. Were you screaming last night for Christian Yelich to bunt in the 10th inning? No, absolutely not. And that's because (laughs) if you remember how it played out, there were two outs with Christian Yelich coming up. And you were frustrated because I think a lot of people thought that Jackie Bradley Jr., including the broadcast, thought he probably should have scored on that uh, throw that was thrown past first base. Mm -hmm. Well, instead, they wind up on second and third. And (laughs) you sit there and you're already like, okay, holy crap. Like they already got a run in based on a wild pitch. Mm -hmm. Now Christian Yelich is up there. There's absolutely no way that if Christian Yelich was feeling confident at the plate and this was 2018 or 19 that he ever bunts. Now I'm not I'm not going to criticize him for doing it because one it worked and two he hasn't looked very good up at the plate and he does not. Remember Nolan Arenado, one of the best third basemen in Major League Baseball, thrown out of the game earlier for arguing uh, strikes, and then on top of that the Cardinals were in a bit of a shift. Yeah, they so were. I'm not I'm not going to to nitpick and criticize them for dropping it down, but you know there's no way in hell 2018 or 19 version of Christian Yelich, who was confident about just smashing the baseball, would ever think about bunting in that situation. True. Yelly has been better as of late, and it, however he's doing or whatever he's doing, he's coming around a little bit. Here's the sounds of it last night. And Yelich shows bunt, gets it down. It's a beauty coming in. Sosa throw to first, not in time. A bunt 
single and an RBI by Yelich. Absolutely incredible. I won't lie. On that replay, I thought they were going to call him out. Yeah, I'm rewatching it again really quick. They field it. They zing. Man, that's like that bang, 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 bang. I, I thought that they were going to come out and call him out because it was super close. I think the, the Brewers had the benefit of the doubt, though, because they originally called him safe on the on the field. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought there was a part of me that was like, oh, man, they're going to call him out here. Well, let's hear from Christian Yelich. Yelly talks about the bunt that was. You know, I kind of just peeked out of the corner of my eye to see if they were still where they were the whole time, and um, they really were. A little bit more comfortable doing it without Nolan there. He's one of the best third basemen in the game. So kind of saw the opportunity. I messed it up a little. I bunted a little too hard and not really where I wanted to because the fastball was, it was like up and in fastball. So I got a little bit too much barrel on it and not as good a direction as I wanted, but, um, you know, it worked out. So I, it sounds like Yelly took it upon himself to bunt because he noticed the shift and he did it. Like That's good awareness, baseball awareness, right, Rowdy? I mean, it sounded like he did it himself. Isn't that the gist of it? Like he's like I saw it. So well, I, I would it? I would imagine just because how many how many managers, let alone bench coaches, because Pat Murphy was at that time managing the team after Craig Council was tossed, mm-hmm. would have the balls to come up to a former MVP, a multiple time All Star, even when he's struggling, and say, "How about you lay one down here?" Not many. Not many. People, especially a bench coach that's walking into that role. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, Pat Murphy has been a manager in his past. He's been a ma- manager at the college level. But not many guys are probably actually going to tell you to do that. <laughs> hey, Yelich, I know you uh, are an MVP. Probably should have been two-time MVP. See, yeah, go up there and bunt. It, it's kind of like an interesting thing to think about because, like I said, there's no way Christian Yelich ever thinks about doing that in 18 or 19 mm-hmm. because of how well he was hitting the ball how well he was making contact and how hard he was hitting it. But I also kind of respect it now because of how bad he'd been struggling. And he took into account that Nolan Arenado was out. He took into account that they were in somewhat of a shift. He took into account, I'm sure, that uh, he's not swinging the bat very well. He's not making great contact. And it has been a struggle, not only this season, but the two months last season. But another thing that was brought up, and this was after some of his strikeouts earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Bill Schroeder, Rock, on the call. Hey, Rocky. And he obviously was defending Christian Yelich, saying, basically, you can't ask Christian Yelich to be the 18 and the 19 version of himself every single year because he was one of the best players in baseball. It's hard to be that good. Yeah, And I agree with him. You you can't expect Christian Yelich to be an MVP every single season. I mean, those two years were absolutely special. I mean, they they're looking, magical. Looking back, they could very well be his best two years of his career. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I think we cherish it's them. not it's not out of the question that you should be asking and wanting a lot freaking more from Christian Yelich <laughs> than what you're getting. Well, because you just gave him. Look at the extension you gave him. Yeah, it hadn't even kicked in yet. It, it starts next season. And it was an extension for seven additional years, and it was just under $200 million. (laughs) Now, granted, it was team-friendly, but he wanted to stay in Milwaukee, but he was playing like a superstar. They paid him a team-friendly superstar contract extension. I don't think it's out of the realm. Not the realm. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the the realm of of anything out of question saying you shouldn't be at least a perennial all-star. You shouldn't be playing at a higher level. Now we know it's been tough 
and we know the Brewers have been winning despite that. But how about uh, at least in the the final stretch here for the Milwaukee Brewers? Let's see if Christian Yelich can pick it up or next year when it officially kicks in. Well, I'm glad you say if Christian Yelich can pick it up. Yelly was asked after the game last night whether he's starting to gain traction at the plate after this road trip where he has had his fingers in uh, the recipe of winning, of success lately. Here is Yelly of uh, how he's doing at the plate. Uh, I think a little. I mean, it's just it's how baseball goes. You know, you just keep chipping away and you keep, um, you know, battling with it and putting the work in. And, uh, you know, baseball is one of those sports where just because you put the work in doesn't mean you're guaranteed results. You just got to keep going out there, keep competing, and, um, you know, just try and contribute to helping the team win, you know, and then it starts changing that way. And you start just doing things to, to help the team win. And that's your focus. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been feeling a little better personally, but um, my goal really every night is to try and do something that helps us win a game. And that's what he's been doing lately. And I love to win the game. We were talking about trash talk with Aaron Rodgers earlier. <laughs> and then of course, Paulie calls in Cubs fan and, and was Bears saying, fan, you know, he might have a, questionable take here but Christian Yelich sucks and I might be uh, have a questionable take but Christian Yelich sucks yeah and I I don't think that's really controversial controversial take I don't think it's really controversial especially when the guy himself has said over the past year that he just sucks right now yeah he said that what two months ago I just suck right now and you know you can look at his numbers this year you can look at his numbers from last year and you can combine that to close to a full season now and say yeah he's been really bad but i would even say he's been worse this year you look at his numbers yeah his batting average was lower last year but his production was up he was able to stay healthy healthier he was a little bit better in the field and he was hitting the ball harder like that and that's just with the naked eye well, Yelly, let's. Uh, I mean, we talked about it a couple er, days earlier this week. He's the player to watch moving forward for the Brewers to have, you know, more success, obviously, in the playoffs. We'll put the final touches coming up next. But real quick, Rowdy, Freddie Peralta, speaking of a playoff run, Freddie Peralta hurt his shoulder last night. Brewers say that, he sh- and Freddie Peralta said it too, he knows his body, that he's feeling fine, just a little inflammation. It was just felt like a, a scratchy sensation, but he should be good and not miss a next start. I think the, the Christian Yelich struggling as bad as he has these last two years, and especially this year, I think it's even more impressive what the Brewers are doing when you have your team MVP being this bad. Going live to Green Bay for the man himself, Mike Clemens. Mike, good morning, my friend. How are we doing today? Pretty good, Evo. Pretty good. Rowdy, good to talk to you. Um... The uh, Jets are, are living large, man. I mean, they, uh, they, they're they in the visitor's locker room. They just actually, a uh, first bus just pulled up, and it looked mostly like coaches and uh, and mostly assistant coaches, maybe some scouts. But um, after practice, I'm, I, maybe two hours after practice, actually, after we talked to Rogers, I walked outside to go get some more Gatorade because it, it got it was hot. hot yesterday. It was hot. We were golfing yesterday. It was hot. Yeah, it was hot. Um there's this big black uh, trailer, like a food trailer. Yeah. And it was barbecued ribs. Ooh. This wafting of, you know, honey barbecue sauce. And I realized it was there for the Jets. So, you know. You can, you can strong sit- arm your way into there, Mike, and get some? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I should have just, you know, flashed my uh, my credentials. Yeah. Like, I'm with the Jets. Yeah. 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 Just 
One plate of tips, please. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I, I think the Jets have got to be glowing that you're describing them as like living large. I don't think it, everyone's really described the Jets as like that till right now. So I think you, I think in honor of that, you do need to play to those ribs. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm, you go up and down the roster and like, you know, who's this guy? Who, who's this guy? But Robert Salah, man, that is a great coach. He's Matt LaFleur's best friend. LaFleur was his best man at his wedding. These guys started out, you know, as assistants at Central Michigan uh, almost 20 years ago. And um, he, Robert Salah, I noticed this about three years ago, three, four years ago, I'm watching 49ers preseason games. And their secondary was just vicious in preseason. And then they got called, too, for some, like, late hits. And they didn't care, man. The whole thing was the, the way they played with intensity, how hard-hitting they were. And they were led then by Richard Sherman, who was keeping them pretty juiced. But that's why that team, you know, would eventually, a year or two later, go to a Super Bowl. And, and I think, if anything, you'll see, uh, you know, a Jets team that's going to play with more intensity with Robert in charge. Yeah, I saw Lafleur and uh, Sala like you know being buddy buddies because they they are friends, you know. So uh, when it comes to these joint practices, how is everything like okay? Like usually, like I think the Texans came in a couple years ago, two years ago. There were some fights. Is it getting chippy at all out there? A little bit, a little bit. You know, the deal with the Texans were there. They had a, a high draft pick, a corner named Lonnie Johnson. Jay Sternberger was coming across the middle and he drilled him. Yeah, depleted him, and you know. To me, I when they when they drafted Sternberger was it third round? I think I even remember Goody or some, but one of the scouts coming and telling us after the draft that uh, you know this guy's a little bit of a project, but he's got great hands. I mean, we could almost line him up at wide receiver. Um, he only we only got about a year and a half a tape of him from I think it was Texas A and M, but uh, you know it, this guy's a project, but we will project with him. Well, he gets drilled in the joint practice, and he was messed up injury-wise for the rest of the rookie season. Then he got, you know, he's facing a, a, a suspension. Mm-hmm. He, he's never come around. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I just he's a he's a young guy. It's a little bit in over his head. And you compare to what Robert Tunyon has done in that same period, um, you know, an undrafted guy. It's like night and day. It's mm-hmm. like night and day. So, hey, and Sterberg, I got drilled again yesterday. <laughs> as a matter of fact, yeah, one of the few you know big hits that they they sort of allowed. But no, you know Salah and uh, and Lafleur have drilled into into their teams as to you know where the line is in terms of the intensity, and you know we're here to practice our technique, not to you know take people out. And it was a it was a pretty good practice overall. A couple guys got hurt though. Um, Devin Funches, hand up over the you know middle, making some nice catches again, like he did the other night against the Texans. But I've I've told you I've seen this guy during the mini camps, mm-hmm. and now during training camps, uh, he, he'll he'll go two or three days, and all of a sudden he's got he breaks down and he's got these cramps, and whether it's a hamstring or calf or something, and you see him on the ground with a trainer working it out. Yesterday they carted him off the field. So I don't know what's going on with that, if it's another leg issue. Well, that's not good. And then um, uh, Dennis Kelly is the big uh, six-foot-eight uh, tackle they brought in from the Titans. Um, and so he's playing with a first- or second-team uh, offense, second-team offense yesterday. There's a big pileup uh, after a running play, and as everybody comes back, he's not getting up off the ground. And later he left practice, and later I saw him uh, with pads and helmet off, 
walking back on to watch the rest of practice with a huge ice bag on his right knee. So a couple more injuries had that. A.J. Dillon's dealing with a little bit of a calf now. And Aaron Jones did some drills, but he didn't participate in the in the scrimmage. So, you know, the injuries are starting to yeah. tick in just a little bit for this team. Yeah, that's the, that's the sport of football, right? Uh, the modern-day gladiators. How's that defense looking, Mike, when it comes to the Packers with that, uh, you know, Joe Barry's there. I know all the guys are kind of gravitating towards him. He's pumping them up. And there's a, is there a new voice of the defense now when it comes to the players? Is that Adrian Amos I was reading? I think so. I think so. Here's Here's the the thought that I had after watching yesterday's practice. Because of the off-season situation with Aaron Rodgers and because of, you know, Jordan Love's story, like no preseason, no snaps last year, inactive, all that, that, you know, I keep on listening to what the fans say, and the first thing they say to me is, how does Jordan Love look? How does Jordan Love look? Well, I have, I, I, I've come to realize I've spent too much time trying to answer that question through OTAs, minicamp, through this training camp, through I, it, it, this team is not going to get to the Super Bowl if they don't get better on defense. And I really am a believer that defense wins championships. You know, you could be Peyton Manning, go to the Broncos, throw 50 touchdowns, and then get your ass kicked by the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> <Right>. Defense, the <laughs> Legion of Boom, right? Yep. So what do they do? They retool, and two or three years later, they come back, and they beat the Carolina Panthers. And wasn't <clears throat> Cam Newton the MVP that year? Yeah. With defense, Von Miller is, is drilling him in the end zone at the start of the game. And so that's what Aaron Rodgers really needs. Because, and it started with a conversation, a veteran you know, reporter here said to me yesterday, you know, do they still really have that good of a receiver core when you're looking at Alan Lazard and some of these guys backing up Devontae? MVS looks great. And I said, you know what, I, for the rest of this camp, I'm watching the defense. The defense is the story. And so I said to Adrian, Peterson, uh, Adrian Amos, the safety, all right, man, you, this is your third year here since they picked you up from the Bears. And now you've got a new defensive coordinator. Uh, you've added some pieces. You, you, they've added some good guys like Eric Stokes in the draft. And you've got an ample supply of snacks. <laughs> you know, how, how does this defense in this camp compare to the last two years? You know, I, I think this is, you know, one of our, you know, uh, more talented secondaries, very competitive. We have a lot of guys that can go. You know, there's not too many people that I'm worried about if they have to go in the game. And that's what we have, you know, that standard. We have that standard in the locker room. We have some, you know, good rookies. They bring in good snacks. So um, I got to go check and make sure my pistachio is still in there since y'all <laughs> like that. But, yeah, everybody, everybody's in there competing. A lot of us have played a lot of ball. And then uh, the young guys are willing to listen. That's, that's a big thing when you're coming in as a rookie, um, being coachable, being able to listen, being able to learn without even – Anybody telling you, you just, you know, um, you know, taking the vicarious reps and, and taking those, you know, mental notes and everything like that. When somebody else is getting coached, that's just rubbing off on everybody in the, in the secondary. So, Mike, you're talking about, you know, his pistachios right there and the snacks coming in, the new pieces and whatnot. Well, they got a new piece, right? Because uh, Adrian Amos, the voice now. Well, how's this Isaac Yedem guy now, uh, you know, fitting in with the Packers? I don't know. You know, I mean, it was just a, it was a swap, yeah. you know. And by the way, you know, uh, Adrian, too, calling uh, Joe Barry, their new defense coordinator, Joe B now. <laughs> Joe B. I mean, yeah, that, that shows you this guy's – they keep on talking about how much they like working for this guy and how he's, you know, jazzing up the meetings and, and, and just seems to be much more personable, seems to care about them. And now they're calling him Joe B. And, you know, that's all, that's all a good sign. That's an ascending yeah. sign. 
Josh Jackson, man, hard-hitting kid, uh, kind of brooding at times when you would talk to him, out of Iowa, uh, and you just thought, you know, that was the kind of guy to, to counter Jair Alexander, who's, you know, flashy and fast, and, you know, that you could have a hard-hitting corner on the other, other side as a second-round pick. Started 10 games his first year, inactive, healthy inactive by last December. I mean, not even on special teams. They're bringing in undrafted guys like, you know, Henry Black to play in special teams, and Josh Jackson is sitting on the bench. Apparently, it didn't, you know, it didn't get any better with a, a new defensive coordinator assessing him, and so Goody was able to flip him to the, uh, to the New York Giants with, uh, you know, uh, four uh, for this Isaac Yatum, who might be a similar kind of cat, who is like a third-round pick for the Broncos. And I've got to call into a buddy of mine that covers Broncos today to try and get more of the backstory. But this guy is now on his third team in a year. I mean, he got he got traded from the Broncos to the Giants last September because uh, the, the Giants had some needs, uh, or the Broncos had some needs from the Giants. So we talked to this guy. I mean, he talks a good game. We talked about... Uh, what he thinks his role could be is uh, after being a, a you know a pick for Denver and then traded to the Giants and now here in Green Bay. I don't really look at it as I'm a third round pick. I gotta meet this expectation. I gotta do this. I just I just try to meet Ike's expectations. You know what I mean? Like I just try to do what I gotta do, and that's getting better every single day. And I mean, it's not like it hasn't panned out or hasn't worked out. I don't see it like that. At the end of the day, I think I'm getting better every day. So that's all that matters to me. And I'm in a great place, Green Bay, and I'm ready to play, so I'm going to help my team out here. I don't know how he's going to be, but he's saying all the right things already, Mike. That's got to be nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and you know, give it two or three days, see if he gets a couple snaps Saturday night as he's learning the defense. Uh, and Matt LaFleur, then after the trade came in and was official, was asked directly, so, you know, is there such a thing as a good change of scenery for a player like Josh Jackson going to New York? that can be the case for a lot of guys. So I think, you know, I appreciate everything Josh has done. He's he's a great young man, and certainly we wish him well, and it'll be nice for him. He's got a familiar face there with Patrick Graham as the D coordinator, who I got a lot of respect for. I think he's, he's a really good coach, but it'll be great for Jacko to get an opportunity to go there and compete. Did it, did you know, the, the, sorry, thing yeah, about, the thing about Josh Jackson is this. It's like, you know, he'll make a great play, deflected pass, a hard hit, a hard hit on some guy. And then the next thing you know, he's tugging at some receiver that he can't keep up with. Yeah. You know, he's going to get a pass interference. Or he'll just be boneheaded and not think, you know, i got to cover the deep zone. And he'll, he'll jump on some guy in the flats who's actually running, you know, a delay uh, down, out, and down, and then go past him. And now the guy's got him beat by 15 yards and he's wide open. It's just technique. They just never seem to be able to pick up on, and that's why he's no longer here. Yeah, Mike Clemens joining us right now, uh, our Packer insider. Good stuff live from Green Bay. Mike, when it comes to you know techniques and whatnot, are the Jets and their young you know crop of talent picking up techniques of Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? Like, how's that joint practice going with uh, what Zach Wilson, the new young blood coming in for a QB for the Jets? Yeah, you know, uh, I got to be honest with you, this kid looks like a movie star. Oh my god, <laughs> he's a pretty boy. Oh, and there's like 40 women standing outside the cage when he's standing there doing his stretching, you know, and outside the fence. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he looks like some movie star from, you know, one of those 60s beach movies or something. <laughs> I can see I it, mean, yes, totally. It's just, it's, you know, it's weird. And so um, he's standing there, and Rogers, 
Rodgers went over to talk to the uh, Jets quarterbacks, including this James Morgan, who went to Ash Wabanon High School, which is just down the street from Lambeau here. I'm, I'm calling here from Lambeau Field. Um, we met that guy two years ago at Combine. He looks kind of like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type. Uh, you know, give him some time. Maybe uh, he's, a, he's a third stringer right now, but, you know, that's the hometown boy that everybody here is pulling for. But Zach Wilson, number two pick overall. Uh, and so Rodgers comes over, and it's Mike LaFleur, Matt's brother, is the offensive coordinator. And so Rodgers wanted to listen to how they called their plays and how similar the Jets' language was as to what the Packers have been in the last three years and their checks and all that kind of stuff. And then he said that he gave Zach Wilson a couple of tips, you know, a couple of pointers on how to run the two-minute drill. And so Zach Wilson was asked, you know, does he resist attempting what Rodgers does with his audibles and checks at the line when he's running the offense? Yeah, it's hard, right? It's like it's like I want to do what he's doing, but when you when you got 16 years of experience and and the checks and calls he's making on the field, you the coaches first of all don't want me to do that, right? It's just too much on on someone's plate. And there's not many guys I'd say in the league that can do what he's doing out there as far as just seeing what's going on, changing plays. But I'd say the biggest thing I picked up is two minute drill, just how calm and, and collected he is. You know, he's kind of just out there, you know, almost kind of like he's just messing around, like playing backyard football. He's having a good time and uh, and he makes it and he makes it work. I think just about anyone would take some football advice from Aaron Rodgers, Mike. Yeah. So after that Texans uh, joint practice a couple of years ago, and you know, um, uh, Travis Davis uh, got hurt on that, uh, or Trevor Davis, the return man that they eventually was. Oh, the guy the who Raiders. was uh, really good at comedy. He's the bomb. Yes. Yeah. Um, he uh, 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 he he was on, on a return against the Texans in the joint practice, and they they you know they crushed him, and he ended up having coming up with a head injury. Um, you know, Rogers was really frustrated by that. And back then he said, uh, you know, I don't care if I go another 14 years without a joint practice because he's referring to the last time they had one when Mike Sherman brought in the Buffalo Bills healer. And then Ted Thompson said, that's it. We had guys get hurt in a, yeah. in a scrimmage, and uh, you know, I, I don't want to see Packers getting hurt in the preseason. So LaFleur was asked, um, when you were putting together this plan with the Jets, how much input did it, has Aaron Rodgers had into these practice plans first of all there's always a lot of dialogue with him in terms of hey what would you like to try or test or if we need a specific situation whether it's red zone third down just whatever it may be so yeah there was a lot of dialogue leading up to this in terms of what we exactly wanted wanted to get out of it it's a little bit different because typically when you're going into a game plan you have your protection meeting with everybody in the room with your o-line your backs tight ends quarterbacks all the coaches and we didn't necessarily do that for this so it, it really does truly test your rules and it's going to be great for some of our young players that you know haven't really been in that situation with him before so he does get input but he doesn't want to do it <laughs> right well he just he wants to control the situation as yeah. much as he does ever since Troy nelson went down with an acl in a meaningless game in pittsburgh against the steelers he's just like that's it man i'm a, you know i'm a veteran i don't need this stuff i can get ready in practice i can be ready for week one and be in sync in practice in a controlled environment uh, rather than you know take some cheap shot from some guy trying to earn a job, mm -hmm. in, you know in a, in a joint practice or a preseason game. So, um, Mike, when it comes to Rogers and input, 
Um, I know we're up against the break a little bit. When it comes to Rodgers and input, I, I get this vibe that he's like the new GM, right? Brings in Randall Cobb. What's the deal with the, uh, the Clay Matthews situation? Well, I think a lot of fans are rolling their eyes because there was a story over the weekend. Here's Rodgers. He's not going to play in the preseason. Okay, fine. And, you know, he got Randall Cobb, and he had his 32-minute press conference come in and talk about why, you know, he thought about not coming back and didn't decide until 48 hours before the start of camp to come back this season because there's certain things he wants changed in the front office. So then the next chapter is Friday night going into the Texans game. He puts a picture of Clay Matthews up on Instagram as if to suggest maybe, they, you know, after Randall Cobb, now they should bring back Clay Matthews, who's been out of the business for a year. And uh, so he was asked about that, uh, why he put that up, and does he have any more conversations or any more input with the front office since he came back at the start of this camp? Conversation is the most important thing. Um, I'm, you know, always pride myself on being reasonable and rational. Uh, sometimes what I think is best uh, might not be best based on gathering all the evidence and all the opinions and, and hearing thoughts from different people. Just to be in the conversation would be a great start. Um, Friday night, I was with uh, Dave and his lovely fiance, Frankie, and Cobbs, and we had a question about Clay uh, that came up because Clay just moved, you know, moved from California, and so we got Clay on the FaceTime. Those conversations turned into a social media post. There hasn't been, a, I don't think, a big push for many of us to, to sign him. We didn't even talk ball. We were just kind of BSing with him, having a good conversation. But he's a big farmer now. I'm not sure. He's kind of like Jordy. I don't know. He probably got that strength to be able to play, but I don't think I've thought about football in a while. So it's not happening then? No, no. <laughs> they were just goofing around. They, took a, they stamped a picture of Clay on FaceTime, yeah. and they, they, you know, they're having their fun now. So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it, this happens every year in the NFL because it's, I don't know, baseball, spring training, that season seems longer, basketball, whatever. But in the off season, these guys are away for three, four, five months. The anxieties rise on both sides between coaches, the scouting department, and players until they get really get into that mandatory mini camp and then, and then training camp. And so they start saying things about each other in the press. And, and so, of course, Aaron Rodgers was like the number one trending story all spring because of the story that Bill first posted, if you will, yeah. uh, on draft day that Rodgers is, is asking out, that he's got these. So I said to him yesterday, and he was having some fun, but I, I seriously, I said to him, now look, because yeah, I've been with this guy for 17 years since he landed here. I said, every time I turn on the TV, every time, and there's a discussion about Aaron Rodgers, it starts with, uh, with oh yeah, these analysts, former players, they'll say, oh, you don't want to cross Aaron. Oh, man, he holds a grudge. That's his motivation. That's his chip on the shoulder. And I said, you know, this goes back to that 60-minute story about eight or nine years ago where Clay, his buddy, and Greg uh, Jennings both sat down with Scott Pelley and said, uh, Aaron's kind of thin-skinned. You know, he just, there's, certain, there's a certain line you can't cross when you're teasing him. And he kind of uses that as a chip on his shoulder. And people have been repeating that about that ever since then. And so I said, "Do you really? Are you really motivated by revenge?" Does it come from that sixty-minute story? And is it true? Do you use do you use revenge for motivation? It's never been about revenge. It's about a reckoning. 
Incredible, Mike. Uh, all of a sudden, man, there's like vultures circling around the media auditorium, you know. That scared me. He puts on a cowboy hat. <laughs> he puts on a six-shooter. Oh, my God, you know. Well, the bad man is in town. It's noon. He looks like he's from the movie Tombstone. He, exactly. Yeah. See, that's it. That's what this, that's a line from the movie Tombstone. That's the way this nerdy guy operates sometimes. <laughs> he can quote his favorite lines from his favorite movie. Well, Mike, how about this? You are our Huckleberry here when it comes to Packers coverage to quote what uh, was that Doc Holliday in Tombstone Mike we love your stuff man we'll keep keeping on it Mike Clemens NFL on Twitter and we'll check you out at the Bill Michael show as well as here my friend always a pleasure Mike have fun Thanks, up in Green Bay. go get some of those ribs from that card okay a deal I'm gonna steal it from the Jets <laughs> absolutely. Right. Uh, absolutely put it put it on my tab see you Mike <laughs> there he is Mike Clemens good stuff <laughs>